Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes uncomfortable secrets of category creation in the B2B software space. On this week's episode, we have Sydney Sloan, CMO of SalesLoft, the leading sales engagement platform that helps sellers and sales teams drive more revenue, and Latney Conant, CMO of SixSense, an account engagement platform that helps B2B organizations achieve predictable revenue growth. Hi, everyone. My name is Olivier, and I'm guest hosting today's episode of Category Creation. And we have two outstanding guests. I'm really excited to have them on the show today. Uh, first off, we have Sydney Sloan from SalesLoft. And then we are also joined by Latney Conant from Sixth Sense. All right. So let's start off. Sydney, please introduce yourself. Let us know where you work um, and what your role is. Uh, sure. So um, as you said, I'm a CMO at SalesLoft. I've been here for just a little over three years, which is like a lifetime in marketing land. Um, previous to that, I spent the majority of my career at Adobe at a variety of uh, product marketing roles, also um, with CMO at a company called Alfresco. And I um, enjoy um, advising companies. I'm part of Stage 2 Capital as a limited partner, so I get to advise a bunch of startups, which is really exciting and fun. That's great. Thanks for joining us today. Latney. Oliver. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just messing with you. So I'm, I'm Latney Conant and I'm um, hopefully one of Sydney's friends. I think that's why I'm on the, <laughs> on the podcast. And I am the chief market officer at Sixth Sense. I also am approaching three years which um, is pretty remarkable. <laughs> so we could have a whole podcast just on that. And, um, you know, prior to Sixth Sense, I actually worked at a company called Aperio and I was in sales for a while and sales leadership and then um, was the CMO and even GM for a bit. So I, I don't know, lots of different things to, to get to where we are today. All right. Awesome. Well, I look forward to asking you guys about your experience um, building categories, but let's start. Um, Sydney, when you joined SalesLoft three years ago, uh, did you plan on creating a new category? And can you let us know like how many categories is SalesLoft currently in? Um, so I, I went in knowing a category would be formed. Uh, so I was looking at the marketplace. I was looking at what was going on in the sales technology landscape and had just previously implemented at my, at my former company and was just really intrigued by where the category, like what was going on in sales tech at the time. Um, and then I talked to a couple of analysts in, in that were following and we talked about when categories would be formed. So category creation was part of the equation I was looking into because I thought that would be fun to be at the beginning. I've been in category recasting. I've been, I don't even know how many, I mean, I, um, you can categorize me, categorize me as a lot of things, um, but the number of categories, uh, I think at one time at Adobe, the products that I were managing might've been in 15 or 20. So I've definitely spent my years with analysts. Um, and my last company, I did a reformation. So I wanted to start something new from scratch where we could be defining what it was. Um, and 
right now um, we're in two, three officially, like there's a new one every week, it feels like right now. Um, so I think it was the fourth probably coming, but uh, um, yeah, exciting. Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, Latney, um, did you think about building a brand new category when you joined Sixth Sense? Yes and no. I mean, I think every CMO interview, everyone wants a category creator or a category designer or, you know, you know, it's everyone wants this unicorn CMO, right? Who's going to create known the category. Um, so I, I don't know if you always set out to do it, but what you always have to be thinking about, and I think the term creation almost implies that you're done at some point, like, oh, I created this category. And it, it doesn't really work that way is what I found is it's constant um, because categories move, categories evolve. And so it's sort of the process of always analyzing the market and trying to predict where it's going to go, looking at, you know, new up and coming problems, and then being able to, I think, consistently find a clear differentiation. Um, and I think great companies are just always doing that um, all the time. So I don't know if I necessarily set out to, to do that. Um, but I think it's something you have to be thinking about all the time. How many categories? Because Sixth Sense is a, is a big product um, and you guys have different offerings. So how many categories are you guys in? Well, so technically um, we are in, we are an account-based platform. And I think this is something you have to always think about in Sydney. Sydney alluded to, you know, sales engagement platforms being an emerging category. Um, and so what you don't want to ever be, I know it sounds good to be like, oh, we don't compete against anybody. We have no competitors. Like that feels really great, but that's actually really a bad thing because people need like categories to budget against. And so, um, you know, even if technically you put yourself in a category, so we've put ourselves in the account-based marketing category because there's been a Forrester wave, we're in the middle of a Gartner MQ right now, and that's all good. It means people are buying it. You can still differentiate and say, that's the category we're in, but we actually are a little bit more or we're something different. And that's how, that's kind of where I see positioning coming in. Yep. So I would say that's the category we would be defined as. That's not how we would define ourselves and what we do. We would say we do more than a typical quote unquote account-based platform is, but that's kind of the secret sauce of positioning. That's right. Okay. Got it. Um, now, in terms of analysts, right? Analysts play a big part in creating a, a category. I'm so curious to hear from you guys because you guys are experts and been doing this uh, for a while. You know, how many analyst firms do you need to engage with? Obviously, there's you know the the biggest one out there, Gardner, and you know Forrester uh, is second. Uh, but like you know, and there but there's dozens of different uh, analyst firms. So you know, how do you know? if you're, you know, you're speaking to enough of them um, and which ones are really worth the time? 
do I have to laugh because there's this ongoing joke about damn it, Gartner. So of course that's what's going on in my head because you know, yes, there's Gartner, there's MCU, it's almost you have to the pay to play. I, I think um, I'll, I'll start in Latin. I'm totally we can flip next time. We can go first, but I, I I do like the fact that there's a bit of a bit of disruption going on in the earlier stages with peer based categories. So it's like it doesn't have to be you know anointed. Um, by the official official category people um, where you can start to see where there's interest by actual customers around certain segments of technologies that they're looking at. So for us, you know, we were able to, to work with G2 on like, okay, what does sales engagement mean today, tomorrow? Then now there's like sale multiple categories. But it, what I like about it is that customers are speaking into it and they're saying what they value in it and what they're looking for and what they like and don't like. And so you get that kind of earlier warning or earlier kind of warning signal that it's there's something there there before. And it may even put a little bit of pressure. I don't think the, the, you know, the big guys would like this, but I think it does put pressure on them to think about, um, and it definitely has in our case when you've got you know, two, three, four thousand customers giving reviews on these peer sites. Like there, there is energy there, um, and they all. I'm noticing. You know, they're covering different segments. So I would say that, you know, Gartner and Forrester, Gartner serves the large, massive global enterprise, and very much came from IT-driven technologies. I think I've always thought of Forrester as a little bit more coming from innovation, marketing, the marketing slant of things. I've, I've spent a lot of time with them on customer experience and transformation. Um, and, and so they look at it differently. And I liked how Serious Decisions had their role, which is is now in and Topo. And um, so you can come back and ask me a question about how we manage all these different vendors and how many we currently have. Like that, I think that's probably, I've probably talked a lot already on this question, but I, I think you have to think about how you tier them and how you manage those relationships. Got it. And I think it depends on like, at Aperio, analysts were not honestly very important for us. Um, we were part of a growing category and big ecosystem we had to differentiate and create like differentiation within that, um, within the ecosystems that we played in. But our ultimate quote unquote analyst was the partner ecosystems that we were part of. So for example, if Salesforce, if I wanted to be the partner of choice for Salesforce healthcare vertical, like that's where I had to go. That's where I had to, that's where I had to tell them our roadmap of innovation. I had to go to that RVP, right? And so, and that was way more impactful than because the, the, just the way their ecosystem operated, it was verticalized, it was, it was multi-country. And so I think you just have to understand like who's a proxy for the voice of the customer and needs to understand your differentiation and needs to understand where to place you and how do you make sure that you get placed adequately um, and how you want to be placed with people most influential for your like desired customer set. And so I think it's also okay to say, you know what, we don't know if they're important for what, what we're doing. Um, 
And then sometimes they're wildly important. You know, I think where I am today, juxtaposing with where I was before, you know, when you're in a space where every single person claims to be something or that's very buzzwordy, I do think analysts help to, to frame it up and sort of cut the, you know, provide some organization um, to a very, very noisy space. And so I think they actually, for where I am today, have been very helpful. Okay. Now, Sydney brought up G2, uh, something, uh, something very dear to my heart. So I was curious, Flatney, what, uh, you know, the, what do you think about review sites? Um, it seems like there, there tend to be early adopters where they can create categories more easily. So curious to hear your thoughts on how you think about review sites and uh, if you've in, engaged with them in the past. I think you have to. Like if you're, if you're a tech company and you're not, like that's kind of irresponsible, right? You just have to know that that's, you know, going to be a destination where people learn about you. And, you know, if, if, you're a CMO of a category you want to design, you want to make sure that that's, you know, part of your communication strategy and you're getting, you know, kind of getting the, I say, get the vote out, getting the customers out to vote, right? You know, rallying for your company and your category. Um, you know, there, I, I think the challenge, um, and we've talked about this, Sydney and I, on multiple occasions, is now there's not just G2 anymore. There's multiple G2 types. And so it just like getting the vote out, it like there's all these different parties and that fragments the ballot. You know what I mean? And so I think that's the challenge is like which one matters the most and, and how do I, you know, organize the Because no matter how much your customers love you, there's only so much time they can spend on the review site, you know? Totally agree. And you can't ask them to leave you know, five different reviews on five different sites. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Sydney? Um, I, I think I, I think it varies by industry. Um, and so I like where Latin was going with her last comment on, you know, maybe a period didn't fit into a category, but it, it did fit into an ecosystem. And having worked in, um, you know, developer-oriented categories, they weren't going to peer review sites. So I do think you do need to like, where is your audience? Yeah. And so um, when I was selling developer open source technologies, you know, it was the the GitLabs and the GitHubs and our participation in those areas, or how we were showing up on the Amazon marketplace, where a lot of people were going to to see what additional technologies they could buy for that ecosystem. So I think step one is understand your ecosystem and where the influencers reside that can help with placing or recommending your product or your off your service offering and, and invest in those and make sure that you show up. I do like the fact that I learn, I think as much from the influencers, be they analyst or somebody else that hopefully they learn from me. So I think it keeps, us honest in mm -hmm. how we're positioning and what customers really think and, and want. And so, you know, there, there's a balance equation of listening and learning on both sides that, you know, we probably do more inquiries than we do uh, presentations. Um, so we're constantly asking questions across the ecosystem to hear what they're hearing. So we're keeping our marketing ear in the market through their voices, through our own customers, but also through theirs, because you know they talk to many, many customers. So, 
I think it's just another input channel on both uh, input and, and export channel. Mm-hmm. And at what point, because you guys have you know big marketing teams, and, and you know, I've heard from some other people on some other interviews that you know at some point you know the CMO is handling it, but then you start hiring people that manage all of these relationships. So at what point do you start to hire uh, individuals to, to work uh, with the you know with the analyst relations? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I. You know, my strategic priority is this year is amplify the movement, but last year was create a movement. And so, and, and maybe that's how I think more about category design is like the right. And so, the a movement requires, you know, influencers, partners, customers, your own people, all kind of behind this, this change. Um, and you know, for me and where we are, I, I, I feel it's really important that I'm like, you know, it's not that bad game of telephone where it's like, oh, we did an inquiry and this is what they said. Cause if you, it's, what's interesting is you can leave an inquiry and you can ask the product team what they heard and they have their filter. You ask me what I heard. And I'm like, I didn't hear that. I, I thought they said we should do that. You know what I mean? Like everyone, you, we can't help our biases, right? And so I think it's really important, especially if analysts are, are, are you know, you've, you've kind of sized up there an important part that you're directly interacting with them to the degree you can. Okay, Sydney? Um, I think out of the gate for us, first step was, you know, the category becoming quote unquote official uh, mm-hmm. versus just debated on LinkedIn every week. Um, it was like the hottest poll on the market it was sales off versus our competitor. And um, it doesn't happen anymore, interesting. Uh, but but so it, you know once it became official and, and that the part of official, I'll reiterate it again, is all of a sudden you show up on shortlist. All of a sudden people have budget line items for it. I mean, that, that is why you do it, right? Why you do it is it becomes something that people collectively are looking for. And then when they come look for it, if you're a leader, you get on the short list. That's why it's important. Um, and, and so that was the first step um, and it happened in my first year. And now as the market continues to evolve and change, and I, you know, at one point, I think when the category formed, there were nine, I think there's maybe 40 different companies on the, just the one grid. And so now you're like trying to separate from the noise and, and like, why should they continue to see us as a leader? Um, And and as we expand into multiple categories. So we've got, you know, from peer reviews to um, analysts, I would say there's probably 80 people on our list of analysts and influencers that we manage. Um, and we manage, like we have briefings for different types. So we tier them. Um, we, you know, we keep records and notes and what, what evolved in at Salesoft was one of our rockstar, um, product marketers who really was liked doing the inquiries and was like, you know what, I think you'd be great at AR. And she went and learned it. And so she's our super rockstar analyst relations person. And so she does all the follow-up note-taking preparation, make sure we, you know, showed up. But I, again, I want to iterate, 
I think not enough companies realize that you can have unlimited inquiries. So they can take a briefing, that's one thing, but you can ask anyone about anything. And when you're starting to spend this solid portion of money on these firms, it's a research um, equation for us, for our own teams, for learning about new markets. And one area that I think is really interesting right now is this collision between marketing and sales in our categories, that needs and mine both. Yeah. Um, as account-based and, and, and comes a little bit more into the sales world and vice versa, sales is looking at more account-based and you're seeing the dynamic between the analysts that cover these categories. Because guess what? They have their own views and biases. And that's the most interesting. When, when you see them talking and trying to figure out between themselves how they would represent to clients and what questions they're asked and asking you to help them answer the question, like that's golden. That's really cool. So if you guys had to pick the best tactic um, that you guys ran at any point in your career, uh, to create or to recast a category, um, what would that be? So for me, it was we um, at Aperio, we we had grown, we had made some acquisitions, and we had um, a bunch of different product lines and solution lines, and like you know. I looked around and I'm like, we stand for everything. So we stand for nothing. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we kind of had this step back and said, okay, fundamentally, what, what do we, why, why do we exist? And, and what do we believe in? And, um, and so we repositioned ourselves, not as a systems integrator, which is what we were basically before, but more as a strategy firm. Um, and we decided that everybody had to get trained on, you know, these core strategy offerings. We had to lead with strategy and we, we sort of productized our off our stra strategy offerings. Um, and I certified every single person in the company on, you know, our, our new positioning, our story, being able to tell the story, and we created this thing called the virtuous cycle, which, cause we believed in experience, our, our whole differentiation was we're gonna be able to help you transform your experiences, customer and worker or employee. And we think they're linked and, the, and, and using cloud technology. And so we had like strategy solutions to help show that linkage and, and help redesign um, both, both employee as well as customer experience. And, um, you know, that we came up with this wheel. And what's so crazy is, you know, it's been, I mean, I've been at Sixth Sense three years and I was just catching up with a colleague who's still at Aperio. He goes, oh, we still use those wheels. <laughs> People love those wheels. <laughs> That's great. He's like everybody still go, like leads with the virtuous cycle. It's like still working, you know? Um, and so sometimes the most obvious things like, hey, guess what? If your employees don't have good data and don't have good systems, it's kind of hard for them to deliver a great customer experience. Like sometimes like the most obvious sort of simple truths, um, I think can be the basis of a great new category or, or positioning. Um, but what was interesting about that is, yes, we did the external 
view and, and saw that there was a need for this, but it was very inside out. So I started internally rallying everybody around it, doing lots of tiger team workshops, like getting it tattooed on everybody's, um, arm. We had these shirts, virtuous psycho bitches. (laughs) (laughs) They were so fun. Um, but really anyway, so I think that's been always been my approach is getting it going from the inside, the excitement and the momentum to really show up and, and represent the category or the movement. How long did that take from start to finish to the rollout, all this messaging and, and the wheel? We, um, yeah, I mean, we, we iterated on it, um, but it was like, it just had to get done. So it probably took, I don't know, three months and a huge field kit, like, like sales kickoff is like my favorite week of the year. And I go bananas. And so we just blew people's minds with a sales kickoff. Like they had never seen, and they left all certified and all fired up. And, um, and the theme of the the field kickoff was rise above the clouds. Cause we were like, you're talking about integrating cloud technology and no one cares. And that's commoditized. And so we had this whole airplane theme, right? You know, and, and jet theme of rise above the clouds. And that was kind of our coming out. That's great. Thanks for sharing. Sydney, what's the best tactic you've applied to create a category? I don't know if it, I don't know if it's a tactic, but I guess it might, I was trying to think about the, my favorite story. And it, I, it was back in like 2009, 2010, when, digital transformation was just starting. I can't believe we're still talking about it. It's I still know. playing. Um, and, um, and so uh, this was, this was a, a time at Adobe. We had just acquired what is now Adobe Experience Manager. And, and we were trying to figure out like, how, how do we talk about um, customer experience management? That was, CEM was the category. And it was part of digital transformation. So what I loved about it was similarly, having to go and teach our teams what it actually meant. And the fact that there were new roles in the C-suite being created that were part of these digital transformation initiatives. And so we're like, it was the rise of the digital, it was the rise of the chief digital officer. And we got to work with really, really smart people in global brands. And so I think that the impact of it was so big at the time it, you know, we would go into Ford and to GM and to, to banks and, and we'd talk about how they needed to completely transform the way that they were delivering services and products. And so the people that these folks were just so innovative and they had so much, um, uh, such a huge challenge ahead of them, but we could help them with it strategically. It wasn't about the product. It was really helping them set the strategy and set them apart. And you know it, be, it 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 began. It to me, it was the beginning of digital transformation. It started first with creating these experiences, and then it went into digital transformation in the cloud. And you know we're still going through it. So the fact that it had the sticking power that it did, the global impact that it did at the time, and it was so transformational. Pardon the pun to companies when they actually went through it. And to see to see that happen was was just you know it, it was powerful. I think where where I'm at now with Salesloft, I, I see another whole change happening with digital selling, and 
it's still part of digital transformation though. You know, these companies are still trying to go through it. It's just was accelerated so much in this past year and so much investment is going into the market that it's mayhem. Like it really is like things are changing on a daily basis. And so what I'm looking, you know, when we look five years ahead and back at today, like how much we were able to impact business, I think we're going to be, I'm going to have another one of those experiences. You guys had mentioned something about, you know, ABM converging with sales engagement. So I'm curious, five years from now, where do you see the space, right? Martech's guys, what, eight, 9,000 companies now, uh, sales, um, there's getting a lot more uh, investment in sales tech. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. How do you think those two categories are, are going to get more closely aligned? I mean, one of the things Sydney and I are both working on is, I mean, and I think we we agree on, but I'll, I'll let you agree or disagree that, you know, what's interesting now is marketing's always complained about having a stack and having 8,000 tools and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, you, you go back five years, a CRO had a headcount plan and budget. They didn't necessarily have technology budget and budget to buy data and things like that. And that's totally changed, right? So now you have, you know, a marketing stack, a sales stack, and even like a customer success type stack too, with tools like Gainsight and, and Pendo and things like that. But to, you know, as a CEO, I'm expecting my team to operate as one. And so I do think that there will be and I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think an ecosystem of revenue technology and like a new revenue technology stack is going to start to emerge with the categories. And, and there, you know, there's 8,000 things. Some of them aren't that important, you know, but I think that the, the critical capabilities are going to kind of rise to the top. And, and that will be this kind of rev tech stack. And then it's about making sure there's great connectivity between them. And so one of the things that SalesLoft and Sixth Sense did this year was, I mean, we built a really, really cool integration. So it doesn't feel like two pro, like our, our joint customers can get all of the benefits of what we think are critical capabilities that you get from an account-based platform and you get from a sales engagement platform but in one experience. Um, and so I think you're gonna start to see more and more like companies investing in, in ecosystems and integrations to, to be able to deliver that. Not so everything she said, yes. Um, and, uh, and what's exciting to me is that by bringing the technologies together, it's actually bringing sales and marketing together. So, sales, you know, for like, we're using success and like our sales teams are like, no, we, we, we want more, we want more, you know? And so now they're finally understanding what are some of those magic moments or mysteries that marketing works on. We still need to be marketers. We are not going to end up being sellers. I saw a great post the other day about like, you know, marketing trying to take on more and more i believe in marketing taking on pipeline but sales is still the sales team and so where do where do those lines get blurred but that's so much better of a conversation to have than you know where are my leads you don't follow up on my leads conversation which is where we've lived for so long like 
And so the, the more that we could do that brings the revenue teams together to look at common processes and a common approach for how we're going after, going after, that we're acquiring customers, um, that we're serving customers and to use that data in a way that allows us to better serve customers together, you know, that's super sophisticated. And, and yeah, we get to work with some of the best companies and, and educate them on what best practice looks like. Um, and so I, you know, and it, what's also cool about that is it's not from the mega vendors, right? If you think about it, it's not going to a mega vendor and, and, and then there's innovation happening in the marketplace that, um, where companies are coming together and, and really kind of leapfrogging, I think what's been there in the past. Um, but I mean, I, I've been talking about account-based approaches for eight years probably now. And I think now the technologies are coming together in a way that's super meaningful for all teams to benefit. Mm -hmm. Totally agree with that. All right, we're gonna go in a different direction now. What is a hashtag fail moment in your career as an entrepreneur? I want people to be able to learn from you guys. So, uh, you know, tell us a story of where you, you made a mistake and, and, and what you learned from it. I mean, I make mistakes literally every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I mean, one that I, the one that comes to mind kind of, I guess, progressing this conversation is, um, I had, you know, I had a marketing ops team, which is totally normal. Um, and then we had a sales ops team, again, completely normal at Aperio. And, you know, I came from sales. And so the CRO like hired me and like progressed my career. So we were good friends and uh, there wasn't like any weird, not alignment or mistrust. Like, none of that was going on. Um, but what ended up happening was you know, I started to have my books, so to speak, of, of measurement and KPIs. And he had his books of measurement and KPIs. And while they seemed like the same thing, the definitions can really screw you. Okay. Because take a conversion rate. Well, what conversion rate is it? And how are you measuring that? Like win rates is one that there's literally 900 permutations of how to calculate a win rate and is off stage two or stage three blah, blah, or stage one, you know what I mean? And so we just kind of got off and doing our thing and we had to present in a really important meeting. And the two of us both looked like complete idiots because our stuff just didn't, like I had one thing, he had another, but the title was the same. And then we didn't know why they were different. And it was just like awful. It was like, oh my God, it was so bad. And so I think about that a lot. And just, again, how, how do we prevent those type of things with a unified data set, unified metrics, you know, it, it, you can have marketing ops and sales ops, but there needs to be some sort of revenue ops source of truth on those things. Um, and so that's just one of those, you know, moments that you, you can't unfeel, you know, you almost are watching yourself from above, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Make it stop. So that was a, that's a good one. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Sydney. Uh, same thing. It's like, where to start? Which one to pick? My gosh, so many. Um, 
because I, I have a like I get on something and I get convicted to it and then you're like oh that's not right um I, I would say probably earlier in my account-based journey I um I had a belief that uh, at the end of the day that sales should get to pick the accounts because it's tied to their personal compensation so I can bring all the data to them but I'll just let them pick and I don't believe that's the right thing anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> Rut row. Because <laughs> um, they went and picked and they picked, you know, the ones that were in their Rolodexes. And, you know, and, and so really believing in the fact that, you know, I did have the data that they needed to have. And we did need to have the debate as to why one account should be in versus another um, and to continue to bring the data to the conversation, I think I've learned that hard lesson over the years where it's like, you know, you, no, you need to look at the data because I'm, I'm going to help you make money, um, you know, because we're looking at this and we have all this um, available to us and I, and I can prove it. Like, give me a team and I'll prove it with the team and then you can take it to the whole team. Like, that's fine too, um, if they're not quite sure that they're ready to go all in at this point. Uh, so I think that's, you know, Still knowing, I think the, the hardest thing, right, is like knowing and being convicted, but still not following through on out of fear um, because you're controlling something that impacts somebody else's livelihood. And, and so, you know, it was like, I'll bring it all, but I, I didn't, didn't. So now I'm convicted. Like, no, I know this is going to work. Like, follow along. Here's how it works. This is, let's do this. And then, and then showing it then. And, and uh, so that's, I'm, I'm glad I learned that lesson. And I think that the technology has gotten better to make me more confident that what we're doing is the right thing. So I had a question. Um, I was curious, given your roles in the space that you're in, how do you work in ensuring that sales and marketing is aligned? You know, what are the things that you guys are doing or have done in your careers, because sometimes there is friction, right? There's friction between sales and CS, sales and marketing. Um, I'm corporate bro. I'm sure you've watched some of his content. So just curious to hear your thoughts there. How do you make sure that you're aligned with the, um, the sales side of the house? I'll, I'll take this one first, Latney. I, I have a, um, a phrase I say, I've done, I think at least 22 tours of duty at this point. I've been doing this for decades. And um, throughout the career too, like when I was in product marketing through, through leading marketing um, and every, sell, every sales leader is different in terms of how they want to run the business, their team, their, what expertise they bring to the table, just like marketers are supposed to be these unicorns that know how to like do quantum physics and, and, and throw a party and, you know, and creates the most compelling stories and, 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 I mean, like there are sellers that are really good at positioning, negotiating, managing teams, motivating all the things that great sales leaders do, run businesses. Um, and so I think it always comes down to investing the time in the relationship and understanding what strengths each of you bring to the table and what is the most important thing to focus on. And, um, and I, always, I also have another saying, it's better to be aligned than to be right because there could be many right answers but what is wrong is for you to have yours and your sales leader to have theirs and then not be the same. And so I think that's the most, it's like what, if we had to focus and be really good at one thing, what is that one thing? And just being there for that other person. I'm lucky I have that relationship now with my current CRO. He's 
um, you know, we trust each other and he asked my opinion and then he takes it. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> um, and, uh, and so, you know, let's just solve the problem ahead of us and then we'll solve the next one. So I just wrote down three things. Um, so one is, I think that sales is a ground game and like the more willing you're, you are to get your hands dirty and like walk in their shoes. So, you know, I talked about rolling out the virtuous cycle. Like I went out and pitched that as if I was an AE a bunch of times, like I went out and did the whiteboard. So I, I knew that it worked, right? Like it, like it wasn't like you go do this and good luck. Like hopefully you don't get tomatoes thrown at you. Um, you know, we made a real big change in like our BDR process and how they work accounts. And like that came because I went and was a BDR for a day. Um, and so, you know, I just think there's a level of street cred that you get from, from doing those type of, th you know, if, if a sales wants me to send a ghost note to one of my connections, like I send out like 50 ghost notes a week, right? I'm like, okay, let's go, you know? And so, you know, it's that give to get like, and being willing to like get your hands dirty, I think is just important. Um, and then, you know, the second one, like to me, you know, I told this, this story about the F up. Well, I've, I have learned from my mistakes there and like I have one dashboard for that is totally transparent, red, yellow, green. All, we've agreed on all the conversions and how we calculate them. Every single go-to-market segment, you know, we can scroll into, and it just like feels so good. It's like going into your kitchen and like all the plates are organized and like look all nice. <laughs> because we don't have to like, point like a lot of finger pointing is because you don't know what's wrong and so you're trying to figure out what's wrong and I think that more um the better your your system is for being able to identify like where you're red and being okay for saying okay we're red here let's go fix it together like that that's a life changer because you're never perfect like there's never every single metric is not going to be you know trending or whatever and so where where do we need to adjust together and it, making it super obvious um so that one is huge and then i would say the last one is just like um you kind of got to know when to give an f and when to not give an f like like there are things that I give a lot of Fs about and I'm like, no, I'm going to die on the sword for this. Right. And there are times when I'm like, I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but you know what? I just, I don't really care. So fine. You know, or could I have an opinion? Yes. But like, sometimes you just got to like prioritize the things that you're going to be really in on and, and let other stuff just roll. Yeah. Just like a marriage. Yes. A lot like that. <laughs> yes. All right. So um, you guys have been great. I have one final question before uh, we part for the day. And the question is, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Mine is always like, trust your in, like if I, when I look back where things went sideways, it was like my spidey senses and my instincts were saying, 
like this is not right and this is not good or I need to do this but like I I kind of wasn't confident enough or I doubt it I'm like oh well maybe I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know you know what I mean so when I look back like at the moments like that you know I want to be like you should have trusted your instincts you knew that wasn't the right answer you know what I mean but so the, I think that's probably the advice I give. That's some really good I, advice. It's harder to do when you're younger because you, you don't have, you know, as, as, as much time experience. So, uh, but that's a great piece of advice. Thanks for sharing. Um, my, my aha moment, um, I, I grew up with two older brothers and um, we were super competitive. And, you know, maybe I could beat them a game of horse, but like we were always competing against everything. Mm -hmm. And so I took that competitiveness into the, 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 the job world and I competed against my peers. Like I wanted my team to be the best team. I wanted my product to be the best product. I was wanted my, you know, like, and, and so um, it, it took me a long time and some coaching to realize that um, your peers are the most important relationship to have and, um, and, you know, compete externally, but never internally. And, um, and so I think once I learned that, that, what do we call team one now is the most important team in as much as like when I joined Salesoft three years ago, I told my marketing team, you know what, I'm going to spend the first quarter getting to know the leadership team. Cause that's how I'm going to best serve you is by having great relationships with them. And marketing went from being the event team to being a strategic partner in our go-to-market and serving and supporting the entire business. And so I think, you know, that's paid off the best for me and being the best leader I can be. Um, and, you know, seeking to understand and partner. Um, and when you have that alignment then at the leadership level, it makes everybody's life easier. Uh, when you yeah. get out of whack, you feel it really fast. Um, and so that's the lesson I'll take with me. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, once again, uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, I learned a some good things here that I'm going to take back uh, and put into use. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time, sharing this um, with our team and have a good day. Thanks. Good to see you guys. Bye. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and we'll tune in again. Find all of the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out.